Hey, well, good morning. As uh, Brandon mentioned, we're starting a brand new series today. The series is called This Is Us. And as we articulate these values, these aren't just, uh, you know, uh, some of these are aspirational. In other words, what we're saying is, look, we may not be there yet as a church. You may not be there yet with your family or in your neighborhood. But this is where we want to be, and this is the direction, you know, that we're going together, right? So, uh, yeah, we're just going to be talking about what we want to be true of our DNA for the week's and uh, months to come. And it's interesting, when you kind of read through Scripture, you know, we just heard Ashley read through Scripture together, what you get is you get this conviction uh, throughout Scripture that uh, what people need most is a relationship with their Savior, is a relationship with Jesus. And, um, and we want that to be true of our church. We want to be reminded. This is, we would say this is one of the reasons that you need to be part of a church because life gets so busy and there's so many options and we can stay entertained 24-7. And because we can be entertained 24-7, it's so easy, isn't it, to forget what really matters and what's most important and what's going to most speak and ripple out into eternity. And so you need a church family where you can come and be reminded, right, of what, what's really most true and what really most matters. And that's what that series is about. So each week, we're going to be talking about, in, in future week, things like our mission, our vision. But today, we're going to unpack one of our um, values that we just want to be true of us and we want it to be true of you. Uh, and it's this. We say it this way. We will wreck the roof to remove unnecessary or unnecessary barriers that keep people from Jesus. We will wreck the roof. Now, if you're not familiar with that phrase, wreck the roof, there's actually a story that we're going to talk about in a moment to help make that super clear. But before we do, I want to reflect a little bit on the words that Ashley just read. Those were actually written by a man named the Apostle Paul. And what you may not know about the Apostle Paul is he was actually... Uh, a skeptic of the Christian faith, and more than even just being a skeptic of the Christian faith, he actually hated Christians. He, uh, we don't know that he directly put any Christians to death, but in his view, the only good Christian was a dead Christian. And then Paul met Jesus. And you just see in his heart, right, this heart for people to know the Jesus that he came to know. And so the greatest early skeptic of the church became its greatest advocate. The biggest enemy of Jesus became the biggest friend of Jesus, the one who most wanted to share him with other people. And at the very end of these words, he says something amazing. He says, I do all of this uh, for the sake of the gospel that I might share in its blessings. And I want to unpack for just a second what it might look like to share in the blessings of the gospel. I think of the Trinity. I think when we're willing to be men and women who lift up Jesus, even as Jesus lifts us up, I believe that that means intimacy and the joy of the Father. I think we experience a new and deeper intimacy with our Heavenly Father because of that. I think it means that we begin to know the joy and the affection of the Son of Jesus, that we enter into His joy when we speak His name and lift Him up to our friends and family and co-workers, right? And then finally, I believe that we know the empowerment, the power 
um, and the help and the enablement of the Holy Spirit of God. And I believe that we come to know that in a way that we never would if we weren't speaking the gospel to our friends, the good news of Jesus to our friends, to our family members, to our neighbors, to our co-workers. And so it's people that share the gospel that get to share in the blessings of the gospel. And so I would just start this morning by asking you, what blessings might you have missed related to the Trinity? Um, because of you know the fear or the uncertainty of what might happen if you would speak Jesus to one of your friends well so when we speak of this value and we say we're gonna wreck the roof to remove unnecessary barriers that keep people from Jesus we're thinking about a particular story it's a story that occurs in Mark chapter 2 this is in your outline and so what we're going to kind of do today is just read through this story and what we're going to see in it is I believe this is one of the great stories of the Bible it involves a paralyzed man and the friends who brought him to Jesus so here's kind of the context for this story so as Jesus has been teaching he's been teaching with greater and greater authority he's becoming more and more well known so at this stage in Jesus ministry he's teaching with such authority that huge crowds are showing up wherever he goes and so in this case Jesus is actually teaching in a house and because he's like a rock star at this point in his ministry, there are people inside the house. They're packed in there like sardines. There are people outside the house. It's standing room only. There are people out in the yard. There are people even further away. Um, there's just so many there to hear what Jesus has to say. Um, and so here's what, what happens. So he says that he's preaching the word to this crowd, and, um, and, and they came, these four men came, bringing their friend, a paralytic, uh, because they wanted, they'd heard about Jesus, they'd heard about some of the things he was doing, and so these four friends desperately want their friend, this paralytic, to meet Jesus. They believe that only Jesus can help this friend of theirs and so what they're going to do is they're going to push through any barrier to get their friend to Jesus but the first barrier they encounter is actually the size of the crowd they can't get to Jesus because the crowd is so big and I think sadly today that it's the crowd the church crowd that sometimes also keeps people from Jesus uh, it's well known, it's well documented that when people who are disenchanted with Christianity begin to talk about the reason for their disenchantment, it rarely has anything to do with Jesus. Rather, it most often has to do with either the hypocrisy of his followers or the half-heartedness of his followers or the judgment of his followers or the cold-heartedness of his followers or the lack of love of his followers. And we know that in this crowd that was listening to Jesus, there were some of those same kinds of people. And we know that because of the way that this story is going to unfold. But these four friends, they weren't going to let that hypocrisy, 
They weren't going to let that half-heartedness, they were not going to let this crowd do anything to separate. They were going to do whatever it took to bring their friend to Jesus. And so they weren't going to let the size of the crowd stop them. So one of them, probably the MBA of the group, right, came up with this idea. Hey, we can't get to Jesus because of the crowd, but you know what? Um, we can crash through the roof. I mean, that's a pretty creative idea, right? In fact, here's the way the story uh, kind of describes it. It says, when they could got, not get near him because of the crowd, they actually removed the roof above him. So when we say, listen, we're going to wreck the roof so that there's no unnecessary barriers between people and Jesus. This is what we mean. We're, we mean we're not going to let anything stop us. We're not going to let anything get in our way as a church when it comes to bringing people to Jesus. We're not going to let anything stop us. And so then it goes on to say, and when they had made an opening, they let down the bed on which the paralytic lay. Now, I want to stop there. Uh, so here in the ESV, it uses the term bed. That's not the term that's used in most other versions. And in fact, I think it's an inferior translation. The term that's actually used is the term for mat. And I want you to think about this paralyzed friend for a minute. And you think about a mat. This, this would have probably been about the size of the mat that he would have been carried on. And this would have been all that he'd ever known. And we're going to come back to that in a minute. But so when you see bed in, in this story, I don't want you to think like four-poster canopy bed, right? What you should be thinking is you should be thinking mat. So they're, they're lowering this guy through the roof on a mat, right, to get him to Jesus. Uh, so I want you to just kind of think about this for a minute. Jesus is teaching, he's communicating, and suddenly little bits of mud and debris and straw start to fall on people's shoulders and on the tops of their head. And pretty soon you hear like it's, there's a little noise, but then there's a ruckus and you've got these guys. I mean, they're beginning to tear the roof apart, board by board, uh, limb by limb, mud piece after mud piece, straw, piece of straw after another, and there's dust, and there's debris. And I want you to think about for a minute what it would have looked like or seemed like in that room, because this is so important. What do you think the owner of the house was thinking? Dudes, like what are you doing? Right? Are you crazy? You're tearing my house apart, right? I mean, can you imagine how his call would have gone with the State Farm agent? I mean, there was no State Farm then, right? But he was probably thinking something like, hey, can we like call it? I mean, Jesus was there. Can we call it an act of God? Kind of, you know. I mean, he's trying anything. I know, I know. That was corny. It was bad. It, that actually went a little better in the first service. But nonetheless, uh, we're going to go right back to our story. That's always the best here, right? So, yeah, I mean, think about the owner of the house. But then I want you to think about the people trying to listen to Jesus. And this is like an interruption, right? And there's dust and there's debris and stuff's getting in people's eyes and it's on their shoulders. And I mean, they would have been thinking, guys, will you shut up? I'm trying to listen, right? You're making a lot of noise. They would have been thinking, hey, you know, I didn't need a bath when I came. Now I'm going to have to go home and shower, right? All they could see, all they could think about 
was inconvenience, right? And the mass. But what does Jesus see when he looks up at this man? Listen, this is so important. Jesus doesn't see a mess. He doesn't see noise. I mean, and these guys, for good reason, they could should have been, I probably would have been a little afraid to do that, to go through the roof and lower my friend in front of Jesus because what if Jesus doesn't like to be interrupted? I mean, this could go south in a hurry, right? I mean, he's teaching. This could be seen as disrespectful to this rabbi, to this teacher. And what if he doesn't like to be interrupted? But you know what the, the verses say that Jesus saw when he looked up at, at them? It says, he didn't see a mess. He didn't see an interruption. He saw their faith. He saw the faith of these four friends for their paralytic friend. That's what he saw. And here's why this is so important to note this. Because there are some of us, and we are so, I mean, we kind of view Jesus in this way. Like we're afraid to bring our mess to Jesus. And Jesus isn't afraid of messes. Like some of us have this idea of God. Well, you know, God's too big and he's too vast to be interrupted by my little problems. And one of the things this story reminds us is that we serve a Jesus who is willing to be interrupted. He's willing for us to interrupt him. And he's willing for us to bring our mess. He's not going to chastise us or call us out right? That we, we have a God who's willing to put up with our mess and our inconvenience in order to help us become men and women of faith. I think this is so important. I mean, I think this story just blows the lid off uh, how some of us think of God. That he's too distracted by other things to care about us. That he's too angry uh, to address or speak to us. But Jesus shows us here that he is all too willing to be interrupted, even rudely interrupted, if he's interrupted in the name of love and caring about someone else. And what we kind of expect Jesus to say in this story is something that he says elsewhere, right? He says something like, hey, I see your faith. So go in peace, your faith has made you well. But he doesn't do that. In fact, he does something and he says something very, very unexpected to these friends. Instead, he says, child, your sins are forgiven. Now I want you to notice what he doesn't say. He doesn't say, child, you are perfect the way I made you. He doesn't say, child, just love yourself the way you are. He doesn't say, child, just learn to believe in yourself. By forgiving this man's sins, he is saying, now remember, this man's been paralyzed. I mean, how many sins can he really commit? Right? But in saying that his sins are forgiven, Jesus is saying to him that he has sins that needed to be forgiven. But see, this is not the good news. This is not the gospel that we hear so much in our culture by actors and musical frontmen. I mean, what is it? Every actor that stands up to receive an award, what do they say? 
They say things like, hey, you just need to believe in yourself and you can do whatever you want, right? And you, we just need to learn to love and accept ourselves for who and what we are, right? And Jesus' words here in this story collide with that view. They just do. Not only that, there's a lot, of, if you've been, if you spend about um, a semester on a college campus these days, you know this, but many modern thinkers, they don't even like, they would never even sign off on the word sin for anybody. They would say, hey, the problem isn't like personal sin. The problem is that we're all products of a broken system. And if we can fix the system, if we can fix the systems that resulted in the things that we do and the way that we think, for example, a prejudicial system, right? And that would be just one example of dozens and dozens. Then we can fix the problem, see? So they would never sign off on the word sin or personal sin. They would say, no, we're just products of a broken system. So the problem isn't with sin, it's in fixing the system. Therefore, we don't need to talk about forgiveness. We don't need to talk about repentance. We just need to learn to love and accept ourselves. And Jesus will have none of this. He speaks unapologetically about sin, repentance, and forgiveness. And get this, Jesus doesn't just offer this man, uh, you know, forgiveness for some of his sins or like his top ten list of sins. He forgives him for all of the sins he's ever committed, whether it be in word, whether it be in deed, or whether it be in thought. And listen, this is one of the hopes held out by the gospel. It's only one, and there are dozens and dozens more, but one of the hopes held out by the gospel, right, is that our sin is forgiven, and that it's erased that it's blotted out, that it's dismantled, and that it's discarded, and therefore it has no authority over me anymore. Only the authority of Jesus matters in my life, right? Now, there is a disclaimer. Sometimes you'll hear a teacher say, I've probably said this myself. Sometimes you'll hear a teacher say, hey, when God forgives your sin, he even forgets it. And uh, I, I want to address that because that's just flat out not true. Uh, if that were true, here's what would happen. You would be talking to God about his word, for example, and you might say, hey, God, do you remember King David's sin? And God's not going to look at you and go, King David sinned? I don't even know what you're talking about, right? No, King David's sins are recorded in his word. He knows about King David's sin in the same way that he knows about yours and about mine. But he's still willing to treat us just as if we'd never sinned. And this is so amazing to me. And by the way, forgiveness in this story comes across like it's something easy to do because Jesus is going to seem to step it up and that's probably not a good way to look at it and we're going to make that clear why that's not a good way to look at it because I mean in other words Jesus says hey your sins are forgiven and then there's people in the crowd 
And they're thinking something. And Jesus, because he's God, he knows what they're thinking. And they're thinking this. And by the way, these guys get a bad rap in this story, but they got this part right. They're thinking, who does this guy think he is? I mean, only God has the authority to forgive sins. By saying that his sins are forgiven, this man is claiming to have God's authority. And it is about God's authority because Jesus knows what they're thinking. And so he responds by saying, so that you may know that I have authority. By the way, he doesn't use the word I. He uses the word son of man. And it's important that you understand the, uh, where this phrase comes from. That's actually a phrase used in the book of Daniel, the Old Testament book of Daniel, to refer to the coming Messiah. And Jesus adopted this phrase from the book of Daniel to refer to himself. So in other words, he's admitting, I am the Messiah. And I do have God's authority on earth to offer the forgiveness of sin. But what was so difficult about that, right, is nobody could, uh, that's not testable. If Jesus looks at the man who's now laying on his mat on the ground and says, your sins are forgiven, you can't disprove that, right? It's not provable one way or another. So Jesus wants to offer them substantive proof that he has authority on earth to forgive sins. But I want to say two things before we move on. The first thing is this, just to remind you, friends, if you're a follower of Jesus, your Jesus has authority. There is nothing he does not have authority over. He has authority over broken bodies. He has authority over cold hearts. He has authority over the weather. He has authority. He just has all authority. And what that means is there is nothing in your life that is too big for him. There is nothing in your life that doesn't escape, that escapes his notice. There is nothing. Our Jesus has authority. And the second thing I want to say before we move on, because forgiveness seems kind of cheap and easy here, I want to remind you something. One day, it would cost Jesus everything to be able to look at this man and say, child, your sins are forgiven. Because one day, he will have to go to a cross to make that true for all of us. And so forgiveness in this story is not easy, and it's not cheap, right? Because it will, to be able to say that, will cost Jesus everything. Everything to be able to say it to you, and to be able to say it to me. There is nothing more important. And it would be easy to think, well, you know, a physical healing, telling this man to get up off of his mat and the man just doing it, that's probably a bigger miracle than the miracle for, of forgiveness. And I would say to you, you couldn't be more wrong. That's not what this is about. This isn't about a bigger miracle. This is about a miracle that's provable. 
right? Because again, we said you can't, you can't test forgiveness. You can't prove or disprove it. But you can, you can attest to the raising of a paralytic when everybody in the room's known this man all their life and they've never seen him not on a mat and suddenly he's picking up that mat and walking home. That's a teacher that has authority, right? I mean, are you with me? So it would be easy to think, well, you know, that's a bigger miracle. But friends, listen to me. There is, there is nothing more miraculous than when God breathes new life and makes a man or a woman a new creation. The miracle of salvation, what some people might call being born again, of being made blameless in His sight, of being adopted into the family of God as sons and daughters, right? And being given a position of prominence in the kingdom of God. These are all the hopes, some of the hopes held out by the gospel, right? There is no greater miracle than this. But Jesus does want them to see the authority that he has. So he looks at the paralytic knowing what they're thinking. Who does this guy think he is? And so he says, to prove that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins, I say to you, rise, take up your mat. In other words, you know, take your mat and fold it up and roll it up and, and go home. And immediately, I mean, there's no hesitation in that instance. That's exactly what this man does. And what amazes me about this command of Jesus is that Jesus doesn't ask this guy to climb a mountain or swim across a river or trek across a desert. All Jesus asked him to do was to stand up, pick up his mat, and go home. I mean, he didn't ask him to do anything headline-grabbing or sensational. He didn't ask him to do something that the tabloids, you know, would report on. He only asked him to do the things that you and I do every single day, but that every one of us in the room just takes for granted. He just asked him to do normal things things right and the reality is though these things were impossible for this man apart from the grace of Jesus I mean without the grace of Jesus he could have never done the things that you and I take for granted in every day right but the truth is and this is such an important point to catch we are all helpless before God apart from his grace and the good news is the good news held out by the gospel is that we never have to live a moment of our lives apart from his grace or without it. And so in the same way that this guy, that Jesus would ask this guy to do something that he could only do by his grace, there are times when Jesus will come to us, right? And he will say to us, you can only do this by my grace and by my might and by my power. And so, so often we have to say, right, back to Jesus, hey, Jesus, I can't, but you can. I can't, but you can. And His grace just overflows. It overflows in this story. Think about this. If this man had been paralyzed, what had happened to all of his muscles? They had atrophied, right? There were no muscles. There was no muscle tone. Jesus doesn't just cure his paralysis. He gives him muscle and muscle tone so that this guy can stand up, take up his mat, 
and go home, right? And, and not only that, Jesus doesn't just heal his body. He heals his heart. He heals his soul. Every sin in this man's life has been forgiven. I mean, physically, relationally, spiritually, this guy is the healthiest guy in the room. And I want you to think about this man. This man that Jesus just poured grace out to all of his life. All that this man had ever known, right, was this mat. This was his world. This was all he knew. I mean, there was nothing that could be done medically. You know, there were no surgeons, there were no surgeries, there were no rehab programs, there were no treatment centers. There was no way for this man to contribute to society, not if you're laying on one of these, powerless. I mean, he had no money, no job, no influence, and seemingly not much of a future, right? But what does this guy have going for him? You know what he had going for him? He had some amazing friends who believed in Jesus, who believed that Jesus could do for this man what no one else could do. And so they were willing to wreck the roof to bring that man to Jesus. And I'll tell you what else. Friendship with this man would not have come easy, right? Because this was his world, he couldn't get out and mingle at parties. He, there was no mechanism for him to go out and meet people and make friends. And further, this man would have suffered from a stigma that would have shot down any hope of friendship. You know what it was? See, the word on the street in that day was that if you were like paralyzed or you were blind or something bad had happened to you, that had happened to you because you or your parents had done something to tick God off. And so you were suffering because of something you had done. So when people looked at this man laying on this mat, they would think to themselves, huh, I wonder what he did to get on the wrong side of God. And we know this because in another book of the New Testament, the disciples are going to see a man born blind. And they're going to look at Jesus and they're going to say, Hey, Jesus, who sinned? Was it him or was it his parents that sinned that resulted in his condition? And Jesus said, It was neither. God's not angry at that man. God's not angry at his parents, right? It was neither. And here's what I want you to think about. In this case, I mean, it's a vulnerable thing to have friends that you let carry your mat, right? And, and in this case, this mat reminded this man every day how imperfect he was, how broken he was. And so if a mat stands as a symbol for human brokenness and imperfection, guess what, folks? Every one of us in this room, we all have a mat. Every one of us. Maybe for some of you, your mat is a temper that you just can't seem to get under control. Maybe for some of you, there is a bitterness and a resentment festering inside of you, and you'd love to be free of that, but you don't know how. Maybe your mat is anxiety that just follows you, depression that you don't know how to shake. Maybe your mat is a sin 
that you're entangled in and it's hurting you and it's hurting your marriage and it may even be hurting your kids but you're all tangled up in it and you don't know how to separate yourself from it listen I don't know what your mat is but I know this all of us every one of us has a mat having a mat is what it means to be human and here we have a man who allowed his friends to carry his mat right he allowed uh, them to bring that to Jesus that symbol of brokenness and imperfection so that he might know the grace and the mercy of Jesus right see this is one of the reasons that we say around here that growth and transformation happens better in circles than it does rows this is why we, do, we talk so much about community and a little band of brothers and sisters because all of us, every one of us in the room will need at one time or another friends like this man had. And I'll tell you something else. Every single person that you lock eyes with, right, that doesn't know Jesus, they need to know Him. They need to know His hope. They need His help. They need His healing. I mean, this is a value that oozes. It just sweats and bleeds from every drop of Scripture. That every man, every woman, all of us need a relationship with our Maker. And so what that means is you've never locked eyes with anyone, not casually, not intentionally, who didn't matter to Jesus. And so we need to be the kind of people that will say, look, we will wreck the roof to remove unnecessary barriers between my neighbors and Jesus, between my co-workers and Jesus, between my classmates and Jesus. I will do whatever it is I have to do. I'll speak the word. I'll tell the story. I'll write the check. I'll do the work. I'll have the conversation. I will do whatever I have to take to bring my friends to Jesus, to remove any kind of barrier that might exist between my friends and Jesus. And maybe even for those of us who've really arrived, even the people that we dislike, even the people that we'd like to avoid, even the people that we don't like to lock eyes with you know what they need Jesus too they need the Jesus that we know so I'm asking you to love your friends and your neighbors enough to be willing to be friends like these guys were these guys were and to allow nothing to get in the way of you bringing your friends to Jesus and so what I want to do is talk about a couple of opportunities that we have coming up right here for you to do that now the first one is this uh, let's show the if conference slide so look, here's what, what I'm saying. We want to partner with you to help you bring your friends to Jesus. So if you're a woman in the room, on February 7th and 8th, right here at the church, we want to um, ask you, ladies, who do you know, what friends do you have, what co-workers do you have that you know need to be brought to Jesus? This is an event where a group of women are going to approach Jesus together and so this is an event that you can use to leverage to approach Jesus with your friend together will you will you, you can uh, register for that um, online um, at you know outside but man the if conference is a great opportunity for women here's another 
uh, way that we want to partner with you as well. Uh, the next weekend, we are doing something called a wild game feast. Do you remember when Paul said, I become all things to all men so that by some means some might be saved? This is our take on that. Listen, I'm not a hunter. But hey, if I can pretend to be a hunter for a weekend and get guys in our doors or ladies through our doors that love to hunt and they're eating up with it, if that's going to give me an opportunity to tell them about Jesus, then I'm going to look and act and think and talk like a hunter even though I've never hunted a day in my life. Right? I'm going to be a poser so that they can come to know Jesus. Right? That's what we're saying. So we're saying to you, if this is a hobby or you know guys that are into guns and fishing and hunting and, and you know, nature and trees and all that stuff, this is the thing you want to invite them to. And here's what you need to know. Dr. Larry Moyer, Dr. Moyer was my evangelism professor at Dallas Theological Seminary. He's going to be here all weekend. He's going to be leading the Wild Game Feast. Okay, and if you think of Billy Graham up here, and then you think of like Ravi Zacharias or somebody like that down here, Dr. Larry Moyer, I mean, he would be right there. And I know what some of you are thinking. You're thinking, wow, if he was Brad's evangelism professor at Dallas, he must be really good. And others of you are thinking, yeah, and he'd have to also be really old, right? Well, you can see for yourself, right, when he shows up. But here's my point. Um, we believe that if you can get your friend to this event, that there's a good chance they'll come to know Jesus. And so, will you write the check? Will you buy the ticket? Will you make the ask to help that happen? And then, you know, we just want you to know, too, that's a three-piece weekend, right? That's not the only thing going on. It's a three-event weekend. Uh, Sunday after church, Dr. Moyer is going to be in, doing an invitation-only luncheon for our, our leadership here at SCC, people like staff and elders and key leaders. And then here's the other big one I, I need you all to know about, everybody. We're going to do an all-church event that Sunday night. So Sunday night of that same weekend, Dr. Larry Moyer is going to be giving the talk and he's going to be talking to all of us about how do we overcome our fear of sharing Jesus with our friends why are we afraid and and how do we how do we get past that how do we overcome our fear of this how do we how can I feel more confident about doing this so that is the Sunday night all skate and finally one other thing we want to challenge you to do and I'm going to actually invite Pastor Mike to come up and he's going to walk you through this next opportunity because sometimes it's not enough listen to me sometimes it's not enough to approach Jesus yourself sometimes you need a faith community to go before Jesus with you so uh, Mike help us uh, think that through thanks Mike